neighborhood in which they fought to survive, her mother loved her. Is she gonna die? Henrietta asked in a strangled voice, her huge eyes looking into those of a paramedic, and he didn't answer. He didn't know. We're doing what we can, ma'am. Henrietta Washington was twenty-one years old. She was a stereotype, a number, a statistic. But she was so much more than that. She was a woman, a girl, a mother. She wanted more than this for her kids. She wanted a job, wanted to work, wanted to be married to a good man one day, who loved and took care of her and her children. But she had never met a man like that. Her kids were all she had for the moment, and she had nothing to give them but her love. The ambulance screeched to a stop outside the hospital, and the paramedics raced out with Danella on the gurney. She had an IV in her arm, an oxygen mask over her face, and all Henrietta knew was that her baby was still breathing, but barely. She ran into the emergency room after her, in her blood-stained dress, and she couldn't even get near her little girl. A dozen nurses and residents had closed around the child and were running down the hall with her to the trauma unit, as Henrietta followed, wanting to ask someone what was happening, what they were going to do. She wanted to know if Danella would be all right. A thousand questions raced through her head as someone stuck a clipboard and pen in front of her face. Sign this, the nurse said bluntly. What is it? Henrietta looked panicked. We have to operate. Fast. Sign it. Henrietta did as she was told, and a second later she was standing alone in the hallway, watching other gurneys rush past, and nurses and doctors in hospital scrubs hurry toward operating rooms and other patients. She felt completely lost and terrified as she stood there and began to sob in total panic. And a nurse in green hospital pajamas came toward her and put an arm around her. She led her to a little cluster of chairs, sat her down, and crouched beside her to reassure her in a gentle voice. They're going to do everything they can for your daughter, the nurse said. And as the two women held hands and Henrietta cried quietly with a look of despair, the nurse could hear the PA system paging Dr. Stephen Whitman. He was second in command in the trauma unit, and one of the best men in trauma in New York, and she said as much to Henrietta. If anyone can save her, he will. He's the best there is. You're lucky he's on call. At five o'clock sharp, Dr. Stephen Whitman exploded into the operating room and was rapidly filled in by the resident who'd been in charge until he arrived. Steve Whitman was tall and powerful and intense, with short dark hair and eyes that looked like two black rocks in an angry face. It was his second gunshot wound of the afternoon. The previous one had died at two o'clock, a fifteen-year-old boy who had managed to shoot three rival gang members before they shot and eventually killed him. Steve had done everything he could to save him, but it was too late. At least Danella Washington had a chance. Maybe but according to the resident, it was a slim one. Her lung had been perforated, and the bullet had grazed her heart and caused an extensive amount of damage on its way out. But even listening to the grim recital, Steve Whitman was not willing to give up hope yet. Steve barked orders at them for an hour as he fought to keep the child alive, and when they started losing her, he massaged her heart himself for more than ten minutes. He fought like a tiger to keep her going, but the deck was stacked against them. The damage had been too great, the child too small, the odds too slim, 
The evil forces more powerful than even his expertise were his scalpel. Danella Washington died at 6.01, as Steve Whitman let out a long, grim sigh. Without a word, he walked away from the operating table and pulled his surgical mask off with a look of fury. He hated days like this, hated losing anyone, particularly a child who was nothing more than an innocent victim. He had even hated losing the boy who had shot three people before they killed him. He hated all of it. The uselessness of it. The waste. The pointless destruction of human life. And yet, when he won, as he often did, it all seemed worthwhile. The long hours. The endless days that ran into even longer nights. He didn't care how long he stayed or how hard he worked as long as he won some of the time. He threw away his surgical gloves, washed his hands, took off his cap, and looked in the mirror. What he saw was the fatigue of the last seventy-one hours he had spent on duty. He tried to work no more than forty-eight-hour shifts of being on call and on duty. It was a nice thought, but it rarely worked out that way. You couldn't exactly punch a time clock in the trauma unit, and he knew what he had to do now. He had to tell the child's mother. A muscle tensed in his jaw. He walked out of the surgical area with a sorrowful look in his eyes. Mrs. Washington, he asked, after a nurse had pointed him in her direction. And she nodded, her eyes full of fear. I'm Dr. Whitman. He had done this for a long time. Too long, he thought sometimes. It was all becoming too familiar. He knew he had to say it fast, in order not to hold out a hope he could no longer give. I've got bad news about your daughter. She died five minutes ago. He gently touched her arm as he said it, but she was unaware of his touch or even his compassion. All she had heard were his words. She died. She died. We did everything we could, but the bullet did too much damage, both on entry and exit. I'm so sorry. Steve Whitman stayed with Henrietta Washington for as long as he could and then left her to the nurses. He'd been paged again for a 14-year-old who had fallen out of a second-story window. He was in surgery for four hours with her, and at 10.30 he walked out of the operating room, hoping he had saved her, and finally made it to his office for the first time in hours. It was the quiet part of the night for him. Usually the really bad cases didn't start to come in till after midnight. He grabbed a cup of cold coffee off his desk and two stale Oreo cookies. He hadn't had time to eat since breakfast. He'd been on duty officially for 48 hours and had done another 24 hours as a favor to one of his colleagues whose wife was in labor. He was long overdue to go home, but hadn't been able to break away until then. He had a stack of papers on his desk to sign, and he knew that as soon as he did, he could go home. There was another doctor on duty to take his place, and as he heaved a long sigh, he reached for the phone. He knew Meredith would still be up, or maybe even still at the office. He knew how busy she'd been for the past few weeks, and he wasn't sure if she'd be in meetings or if she'd finally gone home. The phone rang once, and she answered. Her voice was as calm and cool as Meredith herself. They were a good balance for each other. She had always matched Steve's volcanic intensity with her own special brand of silky smoothness. No matter how crazy things got, 
Meredith always seemed to stay calm in the heat of crisis. She was quiet and elegant and cool. Her entire being was a contrast to Steve. Hello? She had suspected it would be him, but she was in the midst of a huge deal, and it could have been someone in her office calling her at that hour. She had in fact gone home. Meredith Smith Whitman was a partner in one of Wall Street's most respected investment banking firms and highly respected in her field. She lived and breathed and ate the world of high finance, just as Steve was totally engulfed by his work and trauma. And they each loved what they did. For each of them, it was an all-consuming passion. Hi, it's me. He sounded tired and sad, but relieved that she had answered. You sound beat, she said, sympathetic and concerned. I am. But he smiled as he heard her. Just another day at the office, or three of them actually. It was Friday night, and he hadn't seen her since Tuesday morning. They had lived that way for years. They were used to it, and had long since learned how to work and live around it. She was all too familiar with his crazy two- and three-day shifts, the emergencies that dragged him back to work only hours after he finally got home. But they each had a healthy respect for the other's work. They had met and married when he was a resident and she was in grad school. It had been fourteen years, and sometimes, to Steve at least, it seemed more like weeks. He was still as crazy in love with her as he had been in the beginning. And theirs was a marriage that worked well for both of them, for a variety of reasons. They certainly didn't have time to get bored with each other. In fact, they hardly had any time at all. And with their two all-consuming careers, they had never had the time or the inclination to have children, although they talked about it from time to time. It was an option neither of them had entirely ruled out yet. How's your big deal going? he asked her. For the past two months, she had been working on the prospectus for the initial public offering of a high-tech venture in Silicon Valley. They were going to take the company public and sell stock. We're getting there, she said, sounding a little tired. She'd been at the office until midnight the night before. It was easy for her to do that when Steve was working. He knew she was going to lead the road show for the IPO to tell potential investors about the company and encourage them to invest in the next month, and she'd be gone for a couple of weeks. I've almost finished the red herring. He knew the jargon. It was a term they all used for the prospectus, and it was called that because of the red caution warnings required by the SEC along the outer edge. When are you coming home, sweetheart? she asked, stifling a yawn. She had just gotten home from the office, and it was nearly 10.30. As soon as I signed some stuff, they left for me. Have you eaten yet? More or less. They threw me a sandwich a few hours ago, at the office. Then I'll make an omelet when I get home, he said. Despite their heavy work schedules, Steve was usually the one who did the cooking for them. An omelet would be great, she smiled. So what happened today? I lost two kids, he said, sounding depressed. He couldn't help thinking of the young black woman who had lost her daughter and how much he would have liked things to come out differently for her. But he was a doctor, not a magician. A fifteen-year-old kid who got in a shootout against a rival gang. He managed to hit three of them before he went down, but they killed him. And a little girl a few hours ago. She was an innocent bystander in a shootout between three kids and the cops in Harlem. 
Meredith would have hated doing what Steve did. The constant agony of the patients he saw, the despair, the losses, the heartbreak. Sounds like a miserable day, sweetheart. I'm sorry. Why don't you come home and relax? You need it. He hadn't been home in three days, and he sounded exhausted and disheartened. Yeah, I'll be home in about twenty minutes. Don't go to bed till I get there. She smiled at the warning. There's no danger of that. I came home with a full briefcase. Well, park it somewhere when I get there, Mrs. Whitman. I want your full attention. I promise you will have my full attention, Doctor. Just get your ass home. As it turned out, he walked in the door of their apartment nearly forty minutes later. The chief resident had needed a quick consultation with him before he left, about a broken hip and pelvis on a ninety-two-year-old woman, and the fourteen-year-old who'd fallen out the window had developed complications. But Steve knew better than anyone that it was time for him to go home. He was beyond exhausted. He finished the paperwork on his desk and signed out for the weekend. He didn't have to be back on duty until Monday. Mary, he called out. No answer. She was standing in the shower when he found her, long and lanky, and blonde and incredibly beautiful and graceful. She had modeled for extra money when she was in college. They had both gotten through school on scholarships. Both of them were only children, and both of them had lost their parents while they were in college. Hers in a car accident in the south of France on the first real vacation her parents had taken in twenty years and his to cancer within six months of each other. For years now, they were not only husband and wife, but they were the only family each had, and as a result, they meant everything to each other. And as she saw him, she smiled broadly, turned off the shower, and grabbed a towel. Her shoulder-length blonde hair dripped water on her breasts, and her green eyes were sexy and warm. God, what you do to me when I come home like this! You make me wonder why I ever go to work. To save lives, of course, she said as she put her arms around his neck and glued herself to him. What do you want first, me or the omelet? He asked with a boyish smile, and she looked at him with feigned consternation. That's a pretty tough choice. I was beginning to get hungry. Me too, he grinned. Maybe the omelet first. And then I'll hop into the shower, and we can celebrate the fact that we're both here for the night. I was beginning to feel like they were never going to let me out. Thank God I'm off for the weekend. I can't believe we've actually got two days to spend together. But her eyes clouded as soon as he said it. I get the feeling you've forgotten I'm leaving.